We're going to go ahead and get going this morning. So if you're getting coffee or bagels, feel free to take your time. For the rest of you, if you're fairly new or haven't been around here for very long, uh, both at this service and at the 9 o'clock service, we keep things pretty loose. So if you want another cup of coffee or a glass of tea or a, or a bagel during the service, uh, move about the room. Hallelujah. Um, they're learning. So uh, every time that drives you nuts, just say they're learning um, and they're growing and they're having fun at church, which we need more of. So, uh, well, good morning. We're, we're glad that you're here and, and a part of this morning's service. We're actually launching a brand new series today uh, called Wrestling with God. Did any of you ever, how many of you have ever wrestled somebody? Raise your hand if you've wrestled someone. A lot of old hands. Uh, how many of you have wrestled someone recently? Okay, younger hands. There's a reason for that uh, because we start to become pretty sore as we get older and we wrestle. In our family, uh, we wrestle. I have three young boys and Naomi. Naomi won't let me wrestle her anymore, so she stays out of it. But my young boys, we wrestle almost every day. And as they get taller and heavier and stronger, my pain is continuing to increase as I wrestle with them. Usually we draw uh, a, an, a stop time as the blood increases and as the tears increase, then we know it's time to stop. Otherwise, we don't really know how to stop. Uh, and so, and that's not always me. That sometimes that's them as well. And uh, so we have a great, great time wrestling. If you were to say, what's your favorite thing to do? They'll say, wrestle with dad. Uh, and that's slowly becoming beat on dad. But nevertheless, we still do it. Um, so we're, we're looking at wrestling with God. And here's the reality, is the more that we look at the scriptures, the more that we see people men and women in the scriptures that wrestled with God on biblical truths. And not just biblical truths, but they wrestled with God on their life circumstances. They weren't really pleased of what was going on. They didn't understand what was going on, and they wanted answers. Or they didn't like the answers that were given, so they wrestled back on those. And we see a whole lot going on within the scriptures, namely this, is that we're learning to trust God with all, without always needing to have all of the answers. Now, that should cause a little bit of like a lump in your stomach a little bit. Why is that? Because we live in a culture where we want answers. If, if there's a problem, we know what to go to. It's called the internet and, or, or someone else. We want answers, but often we see in the scriptures that people are learning to trust God without the answers. Often faith is more like a wrestling match than it is gathering information to get ready for a final exam. Now, some of you are old and you remember what it was like to wrestle. You also remember what it's like to take a final exam. And all you do is acquire information, you try and do rote memory, and you get ready for that exam. And yet wrestling with God is very different than that. And what, what's peculiar about this is that out of all the places that we can attend or take part in, the one place that it seems to be voodoo to wrestle with God is the church. The one place where it should be okay to wrestle with God on truth and to not be okay with something and to push back and to dig for more answers and to ask more questions and to be confused and to not be happy with the answer should be church. 
And yet church, historically, and even present day, is typically the place where we are supposed to look the part, act the part, sound the part, just listen to what we're told, and then go apply it and not wrestle back with that. That's fine until it affects you in a very near and dear way, until it's a topic that hurts, until it's a topic that draws your emotions out, then what do we do? Do we just continue to follow in line because that's what we're supposed to do? Experts will say that the healthier the church is, the more questions are being asked rather than the opposite. So what we want to do is we want to ask more questions. Sometimes when we ask more questions, we'll feel alienated. We can feel like everybody else in the room knows this answer but me. Everybody in the room understands the Trinity. Everybody in the room understands sin. Everybody in the room understands what's going on with creation. I'm the only one. But it's more than just biblical knowledge, right? Everybody in the room has a great marriage. Everybody in the room has perfect kids. Everybody in the room has a great job, and they love that job. Everything's just perfect, perfect, perfect. And yet, when we dig a little bit deeper, this is why life groups are so important, we begin to see that we're all struggling. We're all wrestling with God on what life throws at us. We all suffer loss. We all have struggle. We all have sad hearts. Sometimes we can think of... Uh, spirituality is like this. I am more spiritual if I have more information. The more information I have, the more answers I have, then the more spiritual I will be. And the reality is we just don't see that in Scripture. We don't see that in individuals, men and women, who are getting more information and therefore they're closer to God. We'll see today that rather wrestling with God and seeing His face and interacting with him is what draws us closer to him. And so we're actually today, uh, we're going to learn how to wrestle with God. Now, as we go on in the series, we're going to handle, we're going to tackle some very difficult uh, topics that are pending. One of them, Alex, next week I'm going to be in a wedding in California. Alex is preaching on hell. And so I just want to let you know, if you have any questions at all on hell, how it works, where it is, what it is, who goes, any questions at all, don't read the millions of books that have been written by the foremost experts. Alex is going to give you all of that. And so next week, you're going to get all the answers on hell. You just, uh, you know, some people have the internet, we have Alex. So uh, uh, throw some curveball questions at him. But we're not going to handle a topic today. We're going to look at the general sense on what does it look like to wrestle with God and what can we expect in that wrestling. And we can apply this to anything. If you're a student, you can apply it to the context of your life. If you're single, if you're married, if you're with kids, you're without kids, you're in college, you're just starting your career, anything that has to do with grappling with God, you can apply this. Why is my life like this? Why are my kids like this? Why is my job like this? Why is life turning out like this? You can apply all of these principles if you choose to wrestle with God. And so we're going to be looking at the greatest wrestler in the Bible. His name's Jacob. I want you to turn with me in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 30. 
32. If you do not have a Bible, it will be on the screen, but we also have Bibles in the seats in front of you. There's something about having a Bible open that, that is just powerful. So I want to invite you to open to that or turn your phones on or your tablets, whatever they might be, to Genesis chapter 32. And actually, the story that we will explore this morning is the climax of Jacob's life. It's kind of the, that turning point, if you would, for his entire life. And as we look, we're going to look at this pivotal moment in Jacob's life and what exactly happened. And we're going to see three expectations or lessons, if you would, to set the stage for our own wrestling, actually learn how to wrestle with God. So let's read, starting in verse uh, 22. You can follow along with me. That night, Jacob got up, and we're going to talk about what happened prior to this, but that night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 sons. You start complaining about your family dynamics. He's got two wives, two female servants, and 11 sons. And they crossed the ford of the Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all of his possessions, everything he owns, he sends ahead of him. And so now Jacob was left alone. We'll come back to that. And a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched and wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, well, what's your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel. Because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you keep asking my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, it is because I saw the face, I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. The sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. I don't know how many of you have ever injured your hip. Maybe if you've, you've played football or if you give it your best to go roller skating or ice skating and you fall and you get a hip pointer or, or maybe you've, you've broken or shattered your hip, it's awful. It, hip injuries hurt. Not quite like a, broken, a, a handful of broken ribs, poor Mimi, um, but uh, hip injuries hurt. And that's what Jacob walks away with this encounter, with this wrestling match with God. Now, up to this point, Jacob's life has been about scheming and deceiving and manipulating, lying and shame, turning his back on family members. It's not been good. If you remember back to Jacob's life, you can read about that earlier, uh, about four chapters earlier to this point, is uh, Jacob has a twin brother. His name is Esau. So Jacob and Esau uh, are twins. I have twins. They can get in some trouble. Uh, that's, what twins, that's what twins do. <laughs> Come on. Can I get a witness? Um, so that's just what twins do. And uh, Isaac, 
their dad is going to bless them. And so they pull one, well, one of them pulls one over on dad and an incredible strife happens between the two brothers. They go from being very close to now going each other's separate ways. And there's not just dissension among them, there's hatred, there's death threats. It's not good between them. They develop their own armies. And this is what is going on with Jacob and Esau. And we catch up now to Jacob. He is preparing after all of these years to see his brother Esau. Remember the last time they saw each other, not good. Think of it in this way. Think back to a family member that you just have not gotten along with. There's been tension. There's been things said. There's been looks given. It's been a while and you're supposed to have lunch today. Think about what that might feel like. Think about what that might look like. And that's exactly what's happening in Jacob's heart right now is he is about to see Esau for the first time in a long time. But he realizes that Esau is coming with an army of 400 men. Now again, think back to that family member or friend that you've had issues with. You're going to have lunch today, but they are sending 400 men armed with swords and shields to that lunch, to Applebee's. They will be in the parking lot waiting for you, and there's hatred among you in the past. So what message does that send to you? You ought to be concerned. That's a fair way to say it, is you ought to be concerned, if not scared. So the always scheming Jacob, he's always kind of prided himself on being one up, kind of thinking around the box, thinking about how we can do certain things. And so the always scheming Jacob divides his people into two camps, and sends hundreds of sheeps and goats and various gifts ahead of him. I don't know what you got for Christmas. I don't know what your husband or wife purchased you for Valentine's Day, but I do doubt it was several hundred sheeps and goats. And even if it was, I doubt you would feel loved or sexy or admired. Josh, have you tried it? You have tried it. Several sheep and goats given to, to grace. That's perfect. Okay, so he sends all of this in advance, leaves himself with absolutely nothing. No possessions, nothing to his name. He sends his family everything designed to pacify Esau. He thinks my biggest problem facing me is Esau. So all of this is sent ahead to try and pacify Egypt or, or Esau, and now Jacob's alone. Not alone like you and I enjoy some alone time. Not alone like, hey, I just need to go for a walk or have a cup of coffee. I just need to sit for a second. Not that alone time. It's alone time that's not been requested. It's alone time where you really feel alone with nothing left to secure his family's safety. And Jacob finds himself alone in the dark, about to face what he thinks is his greatest problem in his life, his brother Esau. And it's in the darkness, in his solitude, that God assaults Jacob. You know, we don't tend to think about God as someone who assaults. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands if you've ever been assaulted. We tend to think of God as carrying the sheep or maybe some, some hot tea uh, or delivering some flowers and, and just this gentle God who is playing classical music as he's getting ready. 
What we don't think of God as is the aggressor, is the assaulter. And, and I don't know what picture you came in with God today. I don't know when you woke up and you thought about going to church. I don't know what image came in your mind about God, about his being, about his person. But he is a God who attacks us. If you look at the characters throughout the scriptures, you will see he is more the God who attacks the heart than the one who is just passing and loving and just calm and quiet. He will at times wrestle you to the ground, pin you down so that he can interact with you. You say, well, why does he have to do that? Well, I, I don't know that he needs to, but sometimes we cause him to have to do that because we're so busy, we're so on our agenda that sometimes God has to grab us and put us on the ground and hold us there so that he can get our attention. That's what he does. C.S. Lewis described God not as a tame lion, certainly not safe, but altogether good. And that's who God is. He's not this gentle lion that we see at the zoo. He's not safe, but he's good. He's perfect. And this is the God who we go and wrestle with. And so there, there are three expectations or lessons in, in choosing to wrestle with God, irregardless of the topic that I want to cover this morning as we get ready to go into this series, because you can apply it to anything like we previously said. Number one, when we wrestle with God, we expect to meet God alone, often in the dark. If you're going to wrestle with God about a topic, about an issue, about an answer, about a life situation, about something you're not happy with or something you're looking for, expect to wrestle with God one-on-one. -on -one. Expect to wrestle with God alone in the dark. Does that mean where the lights are turned off? No. Does that mean that after the sun goes down? No. The, the darkness is a metaphor in what creates the most feeling of being vulnerable for you. If you remember several weeks ago, I talked about the fact that our family loves to play hide and go seek and that if I find you, I tickle you, which is even worse. You get found and you get tickled. So for some of you that don't like to be tickled, you would hate to play with me. But anyways, Max will always want to be my partner. Why is that? Is it because he's afraid of the game of hide and go seek? No, not at all. But the idea of being in darkness causes him to be vulnerable. The vulnerability is what drops his guard and makes him fearful. For you and I, our ability to come face to face with God in great ways depends on our ability to place ourselves in positions of being vulnerable. Why? Because when, when life is easy, when we're comfortable, when everything's just going right, when everything's just perfect, when everything's just slipping right into its place, when the bills are paid and the kids are good and everything's just great, it's harder, not impossible, harder to wrestle with God. When we are vulnerable, our guard is up or it drops and we're concerned, we're scared, and we're much more aware of our surroundings even when we can't see clearly. You know this. Think of the last time you drove in a really bad snowstorm or blizzard. 
I'm talking about a, a storm where you can't see more than maybe two or three feet in front of the car. Not like hundreds of yards, but literally two or three feet in front of the car. That's as far as you can see. What happens? You slow down. You drive a little bit more carefully. Your breathing changes. You hold on to the steering wheel changes. What you allow the kids to say and do and act changes. All of a sudden, the car gets quieter and prayer life increases. Be why? Because you can't see more than two or three feet in front of the car. So the idea of darkness, the idea of Jacob wrestling with God is this idea of vulnerability. And for our lives, you, you will be in a position where you can actually wrestle with God the more that you put yourself in a position of being vulnerable. That's why when we go to Juarez or Africa or Haiti, to all these places, it puts you in a position of being vulnerable. Why? Because you're not in charge. Your sleeping conditions are not good. Your eating is not good. You're putting in long days. You're around the broken. You're around those who are in great need. And, and what does that do? It makes you vulnerable to where you can wrestle with God. And I think one of the reasons the church doesn't wrestle enough with God is we are really comfortable. Alex mentioned this, this church in China. The government is using dynamite and bulldozers and destroying evangelical church after church after church after church to streamline religion. And there are several churches that are on the schedule for the coming months that will literally be blown up. They'll ask the people to stand back. They'll, they'll do safety precautions, but they do not want, as part of the communist movement, they don't want any Christ evangelical presence in there. So it's constantly being destroyed. Do you think there's a level of vulnerability in that church of 50,000 today than there was yesterday? Do you think there's some wrestling going on between the individuals and their God? I would hope so. When we can't really see what's in front of us. And for some of you, you can't really see what's going on in front of you. You don't quite know where life's taking you. You don't quite know the twists and the turns. There are several questions. There are times of sadness. There are times of joy. There's times of unknown. And I think our message when we look at someone like Jacob and in the series that are the messages that are to come is that God wants to wrestle with us. He knows life isn't easy. He knows life throws curveballs. He knows there's mistakes. He knows that there's struggles. He knows that there's pain. And he welcomes that invite in one-on-one. -on -one. one of the things we realize is that in solitude, we are faced with a God who wrestles with us and who allow us to wrestle with him. You think, well, why is that such a big deal? Well, here's why. Because there is no other faith or religious movement ever known to mankind that the deity wrestles with the one and allows the one to wrestle back. Nowhere else do we see that except in God, our God. You know, my boys, they, just because they want to wrestle with me I have to give them the freedom to wrestle with me. In other words, they will come and jump on my back at the wrong time. And I convey to them 
this is not the time to wrestle with me. And so I can choose whether I wrestle or not. We serve a God who wrestles with us and who allows us to wrestle with him any time we want to. Anywhere, at any location, in any way. You see, it's in isolation and in the confusion that we really find who we are when we're wrestling with God. Jacob thought his biggest problem was Esau. Jacob thought his biggest enemy, his biggest problem, his biggest wrestling match was his brother Esau, who he was about to have lunch with. But his biggest wrestling match wasn't his dad, who he put one over on. It wasn't Esau, it was God. And I'd like to say this in a general sense. I said it in the first service, we'll say it now. And for those of you who are listening online, it may or may not apply, but it is a central truth, is that sometimes we wrestle with those around us in the flesh when our fight, our wrestling should not be directed towards them. Our problem is with God. Sometimes if we don't adequately wrestle with God, it comes out in a tension moment or an argument with our spouse or with our kids or with our neighbor or someone at work. When in reality, God's saying, the issue is not with them. The issue is, is with you and me. But because we're so busy and we, because we don't take the time, we don't ever enter into that wrestling match. My question is, have you ever really engaged in wrestling like this? Have you ever gone before God, gotten away in solitude, and really wrestled with a topic, a situation, a thing? Are there places that you feel like you're wrestling in the dark right now? Again, Esau thought his biggest problem, or Jacob thought his biggest problem in life was Esau, and yet that wasn't his biggest problem in life. We do the same thing. Typically, we will look at what is right in front of us in life, and that's our biggest problem, and it's not. So there's more to wrestling. Number two, first one is we expect to meet God alone and often in the dark. Number two, if you're going to wrestle with God, expect more of intimacy than information. Learn to expect intimacy more than information. A lot of times we want to go before God and we want to know the answers. Why is this happening? What is the next step? What am I supposed to do? I don't understand fill in the blank, and we want answers from God. I'm sorry to say that as I read the scriptures, individually speaking, not global answers, but individually speaking, God does not often give answers to the individual. There's a global sense on who God is and what his heart is, and yet we are very good about going to God in prayer with very, very specifics we want to know. We claim verses like, if I knock, the door will be open. If I ask, it will be given. If I seek, I will find. So we go, okay, perfect. I'm going to apply that to this. I want to know the answers. And God goes, no, I'm not giving you the answer. What is it that you want? I want you to bless me. That's our lives. We want to know. We want to know. We want to know. We want to know. 
Jacob's asking for blessing. Tell me who you are. Tell me your identity. Tell me your name. Show me your essence. Jacob says, I want to see you face to face. This is an incredible example of wrestling. He knows his greatest fear is Esau. But we don't see him wrestling with God going, hey, I want to know how the lunch is going to go. And what's next? And is he going to call the dogs off? Am I going to be safe? Is my family going to be okay? Will you protect them? Can I trust you? We don't see any of that in the wrestling match with Jacob. What we do see is, I want you to bless me. I want to see you face to face. I want to know your essence. I want to know the depths that I can't even imagine. And God gives that. You see, we live in this information age. If I want to know uh, what the temperature is in Cancun right now, I ask a woman on my phone, and somehow she knows what temperature is in Cancun. And I, and I can change her voice. I, I can make her sound American or British or you know whatever I want, but she will tell me my, my answers. In the church, there is a temptation to want to apply to God what we have in access of the internet. The problem is God doesn't work that way. God doesn't work when you go, what, how, how is the tension between me and my spouse supposed to work on? What, what is the next step? And we expect an answer. We pray for someone who's ill and we expect them to be healed right now or at least give us an answer, give us some insight. We pray for our brothers and sisters in China that are struggling because their churches are being destroyed. And we want an answer right now. We want God to swoop in and just pick up all those believers and build them a brand new church and we move on. The problem is God doesn't work that way in the I want it now culture. Instead of getting a lecture, Jacob gets an encounter. And the questions that Jacob asks aren't immediately answered, and they're not ever fully answered. In fact, we don't even see uh, God beginning to answer any of his questions until Exodus chapter 3. Many, many, many years later, we find out, who is this, the great I am? And it seems like the whole point of God needing to be let go before the sunrise is about persevering or preserving Jacob's life because the whole face would be too much. Jacob wants to see his face. He wants to know who's behind the curtain. If you're into the Wizard of Oz, he wants to see it. And, and it would be too much. And sometimes our prayers, when we are asking of God, I want to know this, I want to see this, show me this, tell me this. Sometimes God's answer is, if you knew it all, it would be too much. If I gave you all the answers you're looking for, it's going to be too much. Or you might squander the truth. And so sometimes in the wrestling, there's a holding back. But at the end, Jacob says that he has seen God's face and his life was spared. So closely, so wholly, and yet he lived. To be so intimately close to God... Not so intimately close to church. Set church aside. Sometimes church can be very, very distracting. I'm talking about the God who breathed life into every tree and weed and mountainside. This God 
that Jacob was so intimately close to and lived to tell about it. And I wonder for you, in your faith journey, in you taking the next step in growing with Christ, when was the last time you got away and you had one-on-one time with the God of all creation? I'm not talking even about a devotional time in the morning. I'm not talking about a prayer time on your way to work. I'm not talking about a cute little verse you read on Facebook. Guess we're done. (laughs) And we're back. I'm talking about carving out time where you wrestle with the essence of God. Who, by the way, loves you? who's crazy about you and knows all your dirt. You see, it's one thing to have someone love you that doesn't know the whole truth, but this God knows everything and still loves you. Still invites you to wrestle with him and says, I'll wrestle with you. When was the last time you had that? If you've never had that, make that one of your New Year's resolutions. Make that a resolution for today because the same God who wrestled with Jacob, the same God who says, I invite you to wrestle with me and I'll wrestle with you, says, hey, and if you want to do that today, we can do that today. Too busy today? No problem. We can do that on Monday. Monday doesn't work for you? No problem. How about Tuesday? You serve and you follow a God who's got an open schedule and wants to wrestle with you. You know, Jacob receives a brand new name. And that's good because the name Jacob had been some pretty pretty bad press for quite some time. Deceiver, liar, cheater, manipulator. Some of you remember someone maybe you grew up with in high school or, or maybe you were this person where if, if the name was said, the people would go, oh, yes, that person. Well, that's Jacob. But he gets a new name. He gets the name Israel, which means that he has struggled with God and he has overcome. You see, wrestling doesn't just need to be us being led just face-to-face with God. It's also about us understanding who we are. It's about God revealing our character, our personality, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Everything about us, when we are approaching God, something incredible happens. And why is that? This is fundamental for the rest of the series. No matter what topic we handle over the next five weeks in this Wrestling with God series, this is the central point. God is more concerned with you finding him for who he is rather than finding all of the answers. God is way more interested in you finding who he is than you walking away with an answer. God, I want to know your thoughts on abortion. I want to know your thoughts on homosexuality. I want to understand hell. I want to understand creation. I don't understand the Trinity. I want to understand why wars happen. I want to understand how my finances are going to work out. I want, I want, I want. And God says, look, those are great questions. I'd love to give you the answers, but I'm way more concerned with you and I hanging out. I'm way more concerned with me falling in further love with your heart and you doing the same with me. That's his heart. Often it's not our heart. 
we tend to go, that's great. I love all the lovey-dovey stuff, God, but I do need an answer. And sometimes the answer will be no. I'm not going to answer that right now. Wrestling well is a journey that transforms us. It brings out God for who he is instead of who we have made him out to be. Last one is this, is there's a reality about leaving the wrestling match, and that is we expect to leave with a limp. If you go and wrestle with God, you are going to leave with a limp. You say, well, I don't, I don't want to hurt. Okay, that's fine. Much like him wrestling with, with God in the darkness in alone time is a metaphor, the idea of darkness. The limp is, is a metaphor. It doesn't necessarily mean physical, although it can be. It might mean mental. It might mean financial. It might mean emotional. It might mean spiritual. It might mean relational. But if you are going to wrestle with God and he is going to do heart surgery with you, if you've ever known someone that has had heart surgery, they don't just get up the next day and start running a marathon. They have a humongous scar and they have exercises, breathing treatment, etc. to get back into shame. Their heart is healed. They walk away with a limp. And when you choose to go wrestle with the God of all creation, your heart will be healed. You will be more intimate because of it, but you will walk away with a limp. And this is true for us. When you wrestle with God, something's going to come out of joint. Something's not going to be quite right, and you're going to have to deal with that. Maybe your wrestling, he reveals in you a wicked way of your heart. If you've ever experienced that, I hope you have. If you've ever experienced God revealing something in you that's not of him, that is a limp. That is not a good experience. That is something you have to address. That is something you have to pay attention to. If you've ever walked away in wrestling with God and you receive an answer that you don't quite like, and that may happen next week when we talk about hell, that's going to hurt. That will cause you to walk away with a limp. My hope and prayer, quite honestly, is every single one of us next week after Alex's message walk away with a limp because the very nature and essence of hell is painful. Being undone and then being made right will leave you with a limp. And being willing to limp means being open to giving up my world as I know it or as I prefer it. Because when we go and we actually choose that we're going to wrestle with God, when we're going to wrestle with his heartbeat on a given topic... That means he's in charge and I'm not. That means his truth gets spoken and I listen to it and then I apply it, not the other way around. I remember when I left to go into ministry, I was just turned 21 and in Chicago, I was quitting my job and I laid awake at night for an entire night just screaming at God on my bed and and wrestling with him and just fearful beyond belief of what this next step would be. And I felt like he said, hey, you jump, I'll catch you. And I said, deal. And I packed up my Jeep. I drove it across the country to California in the San Bernardino Mountains, 
uh, Forest Home Christian Conference Center. And in my first week, I climbed up on top of the roof of our cabin and laid there looking at the stars in the mountains. And I looked at the darkness of the sky and the stars and I wrestled with God and I was afraid. I was afraid financially. I didn't have a job. I didn't have a, a place to stay. I didn't have friends. I didn't have anything, I, but I wrestled with him and I did not walk away with a single answer. But I did walk away with an intimacy with him that night and I will never forget it for the rest of my life. So what about you? Are you willing to wrestle with God in this series that we're going to journey through? Are you willing to wrestle with God in the context of your own life right now? Are you willing to wrestle with God on truth that isn't always easy? Can be a struggle. And are you willing to walk away with a limp? <laughs> That's something we all have to answer for ourselves. But we do find is regardless of where your life has been, regardless of how you've lived it, regardless of if it's been 55 years since you've stepped foot in a church, the arms of God are open wide and the intimacy is waiting for you. So let's pray together. Would you please stand with me? God, we love you. This series is, is going to cause uh, a, a variety of emotions. It's going to bring up spiritual truth, biblical truth, theological truth, but that does not mean it's going to be easy. It does not mean it's going to be easy to swallow or to walk outside these doors afterwards. But I do pray that we would come in with a heart that's ready to wrestle, ready to grapple with the truth and apply those even in the context of our lives. And it begins with worship as we sing these songs, as we struggle with some of the words, that that would be wrestling, that that would be some grappling with you and that you're okay with that. So we love you and are unbelievably grateful for the word of God. And again, we pray that you'd be with our brothers and sisters in China, with that dear church. We pray this in Christ's name.